Now the man knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have produced the man with the help of the Lord. Next she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep, and Cain a tiller of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel, for his part, brought the firstlings of this flock, their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is lurking at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must master it. Cain said to his brother Abel, Let us go out into the field. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother Abel? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? Listen, your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it will no longer yield to its strength. You will be a fugitive and a wanderer of the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Today you have driven me from the soil, and I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer of the earth, and anyone who meets me may kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. Whoever kills Cain will suffer a sevenfold vengeance. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, so that no one who came upon him would kill him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. The word of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Offerings. I saw on social media this week that many of you brought scrumptious offerings to the Thanksgiving table. Some of you, as I looked at social media, uh, brought offerings of candied yams. Anybody have candied yams? Some of you brought offerings of pumpkin pie, the worst pie in the world. <laughs> pumpkin and pie just don't, anyways. Some of you uh, brought offerings of special K loaf. Another terrible, no, it's all right. Some of you brought pumpkin bread, some of you brought homemade cornbread, some of you brought sweet potato soup, some of you brought turkey and stuffing. I hope your turkey worked out okay. Some brought cheese enchiladas, some had pomegranate salad. I saw mashed potatoes and gravy, of course. There was corn on the cob. Some had spiced cranberries. There was freshly baked bread. There was cheesecake with cherry sauce. Some had green bean casserole. Some had that delicious thing called tofurkey. Not. Some got ahead of the season and had eggnog. And some had apple pies. I had the most delicious slice of apple pie that Steve and Sarah made. Thanksgiving offerings. Bringing food to the table. To enjoy, but also to impress your family and friends with, right? And here, today, as we think of the offerings we brought to our Thanksgiving table, we think of the offerings that Cain and Abel brought to God. And to today's passage in Genesis chapter 4, we have a story about two siblings 
with two different food offerings brought to God. One with fruit from the ground, one with meat from his flock. And on the surface, the story simply seems to be a story of jealousy. Cain was jealous of Abel, got angry, and killed him. The end. Well, it's not always as simple as that. And these scripture stories cannot always be a little moral lesson that we'd like to teach our kids for not getting angry with their sibling. There is more going on in this story than meets the eye. There are at least two problems with this story as I see it. The first is the theological problem of God appearing to randomly choose Abel's sacrifice over Cain's. And the second problem as I see it is that the absence of an explanation for God's rejection of Cain's offering leaves us guessing. And people have guessed for millennia about what and why God randomly seems to choose the one over the other. So let's take a little closer look at this story as we come fresh from our Thanksgiving offerings around the table this week. We often make the offerings that each of the siblings brought before God the key of the story. Abel gave the right kind of offering. Cain gave the wrong kind of offering. And while we often make the food offerings that each sibling brought to the heart of the story, we sometimes miss other parts that can help us stand, understand a little deeper. And so this story, we have the following. We have two siblings, two brothers, two offerings, two occupations, two names, and two ways of viewing the world. And each of these pairs symbolize the different ways in which they view the world. And so in fact, I think that it's the brothers' occupations and their names that are key to us understanding this story in Genesis. And what we learn from their occupations and names is that each sibling represents a very different way of life. So let's start with the occupations first. Genesis tells us that Cain was a farmer and that Abel was a shepherd. Cain was a farmer and Abel was a shepherd. Now, remember, this story was written much later than when it had happened. The story was passed down from generation to generation, and at the time that it was written, the things happening in the world of the writer shaped how the story was told. So, what do we learn from the culture around the time that the story was written? Remember, we have a farmer and we have a shepherd. Well, during the time of writing of Genesis, there were two main economies at that time, a nomadic economy and an agricultural economy. The nomads, the shepherds, they wandered the earth going from place to place in search of pastures, of water for their flock. They had little possessions, no permanent home, they shared everything and they made decisions together as a group. And they had a strong sense of interdependence and trust with one another. On the other hand, you had agriculturalists, farmers. They were the people who settled in the cities and developed the practice of farming. In fact, they developed technology to help them with their farming. 
And they worked to acquire land, to buy land, and cultivated the ground to grow crops in order to sell and make a living. And they often manipulated the ground for their own benefit and increased their wealth. So, as can be expected, there was a tension between these two economic groups around the time of the writing of Genesis chapter 4. Nomads were known to resist the authority of city dwellers, seeing the farmer's dependence upon the land as shameful, weak, corrupt, and cowardly. Agriculturists, on the other hand, saw the nomads as looters who lived off the, uh, the work of the farmers, and they also saw the farmers as easy targets for exploiting as cheap labor. There's more to the story than meets the eye. So the occupations of Cain and Abel at the time the story is written symbolize a clash of two worlds, the vulnerable tribal culture of the nomads against the powerful city culture of the farmers. And so with this, Cain and Abel represented two very different ways of living in this world. A story of two siblings with two different occupations and of course two different names. Likewise, their names symbolize two different ways of living in the world. Of course, we know in Scripture that a name is sacred and very important. It is not simply a name, but it has meaning. It describes a person's character, who they are, and what their destiny may be. So when we look at the word Cain, we see that the word Cain in Hebrew means to acquire, to possess, or to get. To acquire, to possess, to get. And this accurately sums up Cain's character and actions in this story in Genesis chapter 4. Of course, Eve was the one who named Cain, and so she possessed something in the naming as well. She possessed the son. But Cain's Hebrew name, to possess, to get, to acquire, sums up his experience in this story, and there are seven things that Cain possesses in this brief story. The first is that Cain, the one who acquires, the one who possesses, acquires a new worldview. Cain possessed his own conception of how God should be worshipped. The text says that Cain simply offered produce from the land while Abel offered the best animals from his flock firstlings, and at that, the best part of the animal, their fat portions. So when God disregards his offering, Cain becomes angry and murders his sibling. Cain did not learn from his parents' mistake in the Garden of Eden, and he becomes a law unto himself. He takes matters into his own hands and possesses a, world, a new worldview that ignores the other and opposes God. It is a self-centered, self-advancing worldview. Cain acquires and possesses a worldview. Secondly, Cain possesses a brother. His possessing nature is further brought to light in the face that he possessed a brother is what Genesis says. 
Abel is called the brother of Cain, but Cain is never referred to as the brother of Abel. Any middle children here? (laughs) Abel is called the brother of Cain, but Cain is never referred to as the brother of Abel. Cain's possession of his brother is then highlighted by the use of possessive pronouns throughout the story. He's brother, your brother, and my brother. The ultimate display of possessing his brother is by taking away his life as though it belonged to him. Cain, the acquirer, their possessor, he acquires a worldview, he possesses his brother, and then the story goes on to say that Cain possesses a mark or a sign. Cain does not show remorse for killing his brother, but when he complains to God that his punishment for killing his brother is greater than he can bear, this is another example of the worldview, self-centered worldview that he had, where he wants to call the shots, and so he asks God to protect him, and God listens, as God does, and Cain acquired a special sign of protection. Cain, the acquirer, the possessor, has a new worldview, a brother, a mark and a sign, and then the story tells us that he possesses land. Cain possessed land. Chapter, verse 16 says, Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and lived in the land of Nod. And the word Nod in Hebrew means wandering, which is the result of his curse. But again, even though he wanders, he wanders in a new land that he possesses. And so again, we see with his new worldview, he takes charge and he takes possession of land in order to gain security as well as a future. Cain possesses a new worldview, a brother, a mark, or a sign, a land. And we see in verse 17, he possesses a wife. We see in verse 17 that she does not have a name and we don't know anything more about her. But what is important, the story is that by acquiring a wife, Cain secured for himself a family and a potential future, what he took away from his brother. Cain is the one who possesses and acquires. We see Further in the story that Cain also possesses a son or acquires a son through the wife that he acquired. And this son's name was Enoch who would have his own children and thereby again secure the future for Cain. And then lastly, we see that Cain acquires and possesses not only a new worldview, a brother, a mark, a land, a wife, a son, he also possesses a city. Cain possesses a city. He builds a city, and this is Cain's attempt to dodge the penalty that God had imposed on him to establish a place for himself and his family to be safe. Cain, his name means to acquire, to possess, to get. And we see this image of him grabbing a hold on all that he wants. And Genesis makes it clear that he lived out the meaning of his name by taking matters into his own hands. 
Cain's main problem is his general stance towards the world. He's oblivious to the other. He's oblivious to his sibling. When God does not accept his offering, Cain's problem is not really that he was performing the wrong right or not attuned to the spiritual realm of what offerings God wanted. No, Cain's problem was that he lacked a concept of otherness. He does not see his sibling. And as long as Cain does not see Abel, he does not see God. Cain, through his occupation and his name, represents a way of life that is self-centered, focused on accumulation and security, and closed off to the other. There's more to the story than meets the eye. Well, we go now to Abel. The Hebrew word hebel means breath. And it also has the connotation of fleeting and vapor. And clearly we see Abel's name stresses the temporary nature of human life, and specifically his life. Cain, vapor. And it also carries a sense of hopelessness. In fact, the author of the book of Ecclesiastes used the word Hebel, Abel, 38 times to express the impermanence and meaningless of human existence. When we jump to the book of Ecclesiastes and open it, the opening lines of the book is meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. And the word that is used here is the word Hebel, Abel. The author says, Abel, Abel, everything is Abel. Can it be clearer? Abel, you mean nothing. And so Abel is very much an afterthought in this very first birth story and is constantly referred to as the brother of Cain. Not once is Cain referred to as the brother of Abel. He did not possess anything. He did not possess a land. He did not have a wife. He did not have a son. He did not have a sign. He did not have a city. The one thing that matters most, though, is that Abel was open to God and open to the other, and that God's acceptance of his offering signaled God's acceptance of Abel. There's more to the story than meets the eye. So here we have two siblings with two food offerings, food that represents two very different visions of life. Names that represent two different ways of going about the world. One that is open and vulnerable, not holding on to things. And one that is driven by acquisition, self-made, that holds to things tightly. So the question to us is, what exactly is God up to in this story? By favoring Abel's offering and not Cain's, God wants to awaken Cain. <laughs> By favoring Abel's offering and not Cain's, God is trying to speak to Cain. God wants Cain to see his sibling. And he does. And for the first time, Cain realizes that he is not alone in the world and that he is not in charge of the world. God's action is not favoritism, but an attempt to reach out to Cain to save him from himself. 
to open him to others. God is not trying to destroy Cain's world. No, God is looking to broaden and open up Cain's world to make it into a shared world together as siblings, kinship. What makes, true human, uh, what makes a true human is not material success, achievements, or even hard work, but a sensibility and sensitivity to others. To be truly human is not to carve out a place in this world through hard work, but rather to be vulnerable in all the dimensions of the other. That is what God is seeking to do in this story. And so we see that after Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, God came to them and said, where are you? And we know clearly that this was not a question of location, it was a question of relationship. Where are you? God knows where they're hiding. It's not a question of location, but a question of relationship. And then we see God ask Cain, where are you? Where is your brother? Where is your brother? And this is not, again, a question about location. It is a question about relationship. Where is your sibling? Had Cain welcomed Abel, he would have embodied true humanity rather than self-centered stance that had characterized him up to this point in the story. And friends, here is the important thing for today. What makes us fully human is not the ability to cultivate the ground, but rather the ability to cultivate relationships. I'll say it again. What makes us fully human is not the ability to cultivate the ground, to do all the things that we do for success, but rather the ability to cultivate relationships. What makes humanity good is not our technological skill, our scientific advancements, or our ability to build wealth for ourselves. What makes humanity truly good is our capacity to rise above the ways of the world's power structures and economy and open ourselves up to each other. And this is only possible through the sometimes painful and uncomfortable act of sharing this world together. This week, as we witnessed again horrific violence and hate crimes in Colorado Springs and Chesapeake, we read the names of people who are human siblings. Daniel Aston, Kelly Loving, Ashley Powell, Derek Rump, Raymond Vance, Randy Belvins, Lorenzo Gamble, Tanika Johnson, Brian Pendleton, Kelly Pyle, and Fernando, Fernando Chavez Baron. Siblings. And especially siblings who are often in the margins in our world. Siblings from our LGBTQ community. Siblings from the Walmart workforce community. And here we had two people human beings, siblings if you like, whose world was distorted with the same type of grasping and power over violence that Cain had held to. And the violence of Cain in the beginning of our scripture narrative is very much real in our world. This possessive power stands over and above others, wanting to control, have power, and to grasp. 
And this is all due to our lack of being open to kinship with others. Friends, what makes us fully human is not the ability to cultivate the ground, but rather the ability to cultivate relationships. God reached out to Cain, but it was too late. Cain, deeply entrenched in his own self-centeredness, kills his brother as a desperate attempt to regain control over his life and his world. And the story of Cain and Abel is a tale for our times, a mirror placed in front of us and a warning to us today, like Cain. We go through our lives without seeing our siblings, our neighbors, our strangers. Like Cain, we go through our lives thinking of ourselves first. Like Cain, we buy into the myth of acquiring more makes us who we are. And like Cain, we are slow to share the world with others. Like Cain, we're oblivious to our profound lack of awareness of the other around us. There's more to the story than meets the eye. The story of siblings. In fact, Genesis has a number of stories about siblings. Cain and Abel and the food offerings, Jacob and Esau and a bowl of lentil stew and a birthright, Isaac and Ishmael and the future of a nation, Joseph and his brothers and the survival of the tribe, all these siblings symbolizing two different ways of living in the world. How will we, how will you and I choose to live in this world? It makes me think of my brother, my oldest brother, Mornay, and I. There are three uh, siblings in my family. My oldest brother, Mornay, and I, we, uh, we are very different people. Mornay is three years older than I, and he is most definitely the wiser, the calmer brother, a deep thinker, an avid reader, super smart, and introverted. I, on the other hand, as a kid, was a bundle of energy, the middle child, always looking to combust, looking to be the center of attention. I was athletic, I was athletic, and thankfully for my poor mother, I was athletic because I poured most of my energy out into sports. Two different ways of being kids. And of course, when it came time to play, things always got interesting. I was extremely competitive. So when Mornay and I played, even though I was younger, we were about the same height. Here we are playing on the beautiful beach, Bobak Strand in Cape Town with a beautiful table mountain behind us. Mornay and I, even though I was younger, we were about the same height from early on, and I quickly caught up to his weight also. So the combination of my energy, uh, my energizer bunny energy, my competitiveness and my size was not always helpful in our play. And so, uh, as a kid, I also got angry really fast. And my brother Mornay was unfortunately on the short end of the stick, usually, in our play. So, Mornay and I, we were the same size, same weight. And so I think of the a couple of times, the time when we played rugby. Pastor Ben, I know you're watching. You and I share lots of rugby stories. We were playing rugby in our front yard in South Africa, a city called Bloemfontein. And we were playing one-on-one -on -one rugby. Usually you need people with you, but when you're only two brothers, you make it work. 
So it's a small front yard with the street on one side and we had rose bushes on the other side, lots of rose bushes on the other side, with a small piece of grass in the middle. And we would play one-on-one -on -one with each other. And I don't know what happened if I got really angry or just had too much energy, but somehow I tackled my brother, Mornay, with the ball and I tackled him into the rose bushes. And I was on top of him so the rose uh, thorns didn't do anything to me, but he was stuck in the bush and we had to take our time to get him out of the rose bushes. He had scratches and thorns all over him. There was a time where we played cricket and one of us hit the ball on the roof and I was usually the one to climb up the roof to fetch the ball, but I just didn't want to do it this time. And for some reason or other, I just decided that's not what I'm going to do. And so I told my brother, if you want to continue playing, you go get the ball. <laughs> but he went onto the roof, um, and he wasn't quite sure how to get down from the roof. And like the middle confident child that I was, I was like, just jump, that's what I do. <laughs> And so Mornay proceeded to jump from the roof and sprain the ligaments in his knees, in his knee. Then, of course, this is story time with Devo. Then, of course, there was a time we came back from vacation to, uh, from my cousins in Port Elizabeth. We came back and we went with them to their judo classes. And we just thought judo is really cool. So when we were at home, my, our parents were away at work and Mornay and I decided to try out judo moves on each other. Remember, we were about the same height and the same weight for a long time. And so we took turns and he kind of tried to throw me over his shoulder and whatever. And then it was my turn and I took him and I just yanked him over my shoulder. And it was in the living room and he hit his head on the corner of the piano. And he was knocked out. And these are days before cell phones or anything like that and freaked out. I don't really remember a whole lot about this after that other than that I got a huge in trouble. Um, <laughs> but the story that probably sums up our sibling kinship the most uh, and the difference in how we viewed the world was the day that we took our bicycles to ride to the supermarket close to our house. We were probably in some chore for our parents. Um, but not content with just dry, uh, riding our bikes to the store, I had, had to make a race of it because I normally win these races. So I told Mornay, I said, let's race and see who's the first one to get to the DB, to, to the store. So I was in my red little BMX, single gear, but nothing else. And he was in a silver road bike with seven gears. So he had an advantage and we made a race out of this thing. And we were gunning for it for the store, but close to the finish line, he started pulling beside me and going ahead. And I was like, no chance, brother. And I swerved in front of him. As I swerved in front of him, I knocked him over. And he hit the asphalt in, uh, of the street. And so I stopped to turn it around and he was out cold again. <laughs> um, this time was much worse than the piano one because there was blood around his head. And I was like, I didn't know what to do other than scream and race back to our house as fast as I can. By the time I got home, my mom was already out in the front of the street because she'd heard the screaming going on. We made our way back to where my brother was, and he was not there. All that was there was a pile of blood. A pile. That's not the right word. Puddle. Thank you. English is my second language. Yeah. A puddle. A pile makes it sound terrible. I mean, it was bad. But Mornay wasn't there. 
And my heart just sank, and I can't imagine what my mom's heart was saying. She, I, we had a text thread about this, and she said, um, these were very anxious moments. <laughs> um, what had happened is the lady in the apartments across the street had see, uh, saw and seen what had happened, and while I was going to get my mom, she came and saw the injury to his head and took him into her apartment to treat him. And thankfully she came out and she said, hey, I'm taking care of this. One of the scariest moments of my life. Two brothers, very different ways of going about the world. Mornay, calm and content to play. Me, always wanting to win and have my way. But things did change for me. And I became more sensitive to others, primarily through the birth of my younger brother, Emrich. He is five years younger than I am, and we went from two brothers who were essentially equal when it came to play, with me mostly being the stronger one, to three brothers. Now a small, defenseless child was added to the mix. And wow, do younger siblings have a way to announce their way uh, in the world and to tell you that you're no longer the center of the universe anymore. And so as Emmerich became older uh, and we played together, I had to learn to be sensitive to his needs and his wants. I could compete with my older brother and his friends in any sports, beating up on them all the time. But as soon as my little brother came into the picture, things had to be adjusted. And it is here where I learned the valuable lesson of putting his needs first, playing with him for his sake, not mine. Playing for my brother's sake, not for mine. Playing for the sake of playing, not in order to win. And that meant that I would give him thir three terms to back bat when we played cricket rather than one. That meant that I let him score goals in me when we played soccer, even though he couldn't score in me. I would only come to realize this later in life, but his addition to our family helped me to open up my world to the other, the vulnerable. And it helped me realize I'm not the center of the universe. Cain and Abel. A story of two siblings. Well, three siblings. Because at the end of the story in verse 25, the third sibling and hope appears in the story. The story ends as it begins. Genesis 4 verse 26 says the following. And Adam knew his wife... And she bore a son and named him Seth, for she said, God has appointed for me a child instead of Abel, because Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born, and he named him Enosh. At that time, people began to invoke the name of the Lord. A story of three siblings, and Seth's name comes from the Hebrew word Seth, which means to place, to put, or to appoint. 
God has appointed for me another child. In the opening verses, Eve said, for I had bore a son. But now she understands it is God and about God and God's doing. God had appointed for me another child. The birth of Seth, the meaning of his name, and the fact that humanity began to call on God's name point to the way for a fractured world, for a fractured country, for a fractured city, neighborhood, home, and life. A story of two very different ways of life. One open and vulnerable, the other closed and self-absorbed. A story with the unsettling reality of Abel's death and the sad image of Cain moving to build his life away from the presence of the Lord, the scripture says. A story that exposes not only their but our kinship our sibling and neighborly relationships with either the potential of a closed heart or the potential of an open heart. The question is, what offering will we bring to God and this world? And hundreds of years later, people will, were still wrestling with this question. And so the prophet Micah spoke into this story. Micah the prophet said, with what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the God on high? Shall I come with him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000s of river of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? God has told you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love kindness, and thereby walk humbly with your God. What offering will we choose?